and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life now. Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another great episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach. So I work in business and in sports, and I founded a company called Strong Skills. At Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about what the world calls soft skills. See, we believe that labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills, which we believe really are what unlock potential in individuals and unlock potential in teams. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the name shift your mind comes from my book. The teaching comes from my book, which is called Shift Your Mind, and it came out last last October. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then I know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. If you enjoy listening to these conversations and enjoy having me in your earphones or in your car, you can actually get more of it. I know for some of you that sounds awful, but for those of you that enjoy it, you can go over to Audible and I am actually the one that narrates the book. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased and I've been overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued support. Additionally, I run an accelerator program which involves one-on-one coaching for people in sports, for people in business. They get to be coached by my, by me, and it's designed for executives who are interested in growing, learning, and figuring out how they can lead and perform better. Our next accelerator launches in July, and it's filling up now. If you're interested in learning more, feel free to email me at brian at strongskills.co. Once again, that's brian at strongskills.co. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous conversations, it would mean so much to us if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. I can't tell you how many people have found the podcast because of iTunes reviews or because someone shared it on social media. These things really help us expand our reach, and we've even had Accelerator participants who have found us via this podcast. 
Thanks to all of you who continue to spread the word of the Intentional Performance Podcast. And once again, I can't tell you how much it means to me. Now to today's guest. If you're from Maryland, she will sound familiar. So Brenda Fries has become an absolute legend as she has built a juggernaut of a program with women's basketball at the University of Maryland. And we've had on Gary Williams who helped build a juggernaut and a consistent winner on the men's side at University of Maryland. Today, you're going to get Brenda Fries. And she is somebody who's been on my radar for a long time. So when I had a mutual friend say, hey, I'm happy to introduce you to Brenda, I said, yes, please. And our worlds have overlapped and we have mutual friends. And she was just incredible in this conversation. On the court, she is a two-time National Coach of the Year, including this past season. And I actually worked with some of her players in high school. So it was amazing to see them thrive at the collegiate level at as elite a level as you can find in college basketball. Also, Brenda in 2006 led the team to the national championship. She is a national champion. Pretty amazing stuff. Additionally, they have made three NCAA Final Fours under her leadership, six NCAA Elite Eight appearances, eight Sweet 16 appearances, and 13 conference titles. So over the last 20 plus years, she has helped lead amazing programs, but really at University of Maryland, she has left her mark and created a legacy that will live on far beyond her time at Maryland. So I know you're going to love this conversation. We go into depths around parenting. She's got twin boys, and we're going to talk about what it's like to be a parent and also work at, at something and obsess over her work and her job and making sure that she's pouring into not just her kids, but also the people she serves at University of Maryland. We talk about leadership. We talk about values. We talk about psychology. This conversation is wide ranging, and that's exactly how I like it. So Without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Coach Brenda Freeze. Brenda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've heard a lot about you. I, I grew up in Maryland. I'm from Maryland. I live in Maryland. So when you're in Maryland, you hear about Coach Freeze and you hear about what they've built with Maryland women's basketball. And it's really special. So first of all, congrats. Um, and, and then second of all, Scott Allen, Stu Singer, these people that have been in my life in different capacities have always raved about you. So I'm really excited to have you on. Stu's actually been on the podcast as well. And uh, Scott is someone who I've known for a while and a couple of his players are, are playing with you. Who I, I knew Mimi and Ashley when they were high school kids and, and ballers back then. And it's cool to see them ball out with you as well. Where I'd love to start is, as I was doing research for this, I was intrigued by that you have five siblings, that one of your sisters is a coach. Um, I'd love to learn about your upbringing and your childhood and what life was like in your house growing up. So share some perspective on, on what life was like growing up uh, in your household. Oh, I, I certainly will. And Brian, thanks for having me. And, you know, it really is a small world when you talk about uh you know, uh, you know, uh, the connection with, with all the coaches and, and players, and especially when you're in athletics and, and you're in sports. Um, but, you know, I do consider myself, you know, really fortunate, you know, uh, you know, we kind of had our own team at home when you talk about, uh, you know, big, strong Catholic family, you know, six siblings, you know, there were five girls and, and one boy. So, 
Um, you know, it was too bad for my brother. Uh, you know, I might tell you a lot when he was the last one of the six to get married, you know, that uh, he spent a lot of quality time uh, around five other sisters. Where was he in the age order? He was, uh, you know, I'm a middle child, but he's five years older than me. So he's in the middle as well. So um, two older sisters, my brother skipped five years than uh, myself and uh, you know, than two younger sisters. So, was it, was it like a three and three as far as the age? Is it, how did that work with, with all of you? And, yeah. You know, it really was, I mean, it was ironic because, um, you know, my older brother was there with us for, for a part of it, you know, that, you know, I looked up to, and then my two younger sisters under me, but really my two older sisters, I barely knew until I became an adult. And so it is, you know, in some really ironic, strange way, like um, one of my older sisters, you know, we're like best friends. We're so similar, our tendencies, the way we're wired, the way we think. And we didn't really find that out until we were adults because I didn't know her growing up. So, um, you know, just some really cool dynamics kind of as you age. And you mentioned being a family, a Catholic family. Was faith a big role in the house and in the upbringing as well? No question. You know, my mom instilled, you know, we went to church every week uh, with my parents. And, you know, my mom instilled, you know, a lot of that. We went through all the sacraments and, uh, you know, it was a, a big part of our life, you know, as, uh, you know, we, you know, went through. So, yeah, it was a, a big piece for, for who we were. And five girls were all were all the girls into sports. Was your brother into sports? Where did sports come in with the family? You know, from my parents. You know, I'll say two things. I mean, uh, you know, my parents right now are eighty nine and and eighty two, still working. Uh, they're really passionate. They're involved in real estate and um, still love what they do. And you know, they um, were both into sports. You know, my dad played every sport. Uh, you know, in high school, and then my mom was a cheerleader. But my mom loves sports even more so than my dad. I mean, you know, when I talk to them even today, they were watching more events than I am. You know, they're they're junkies. So, you know, it's pretty cool because that's what we knew growing up. They had us involved in everything. We played everything, every sport you could imagine until we all kind of found what, what was our niche. So my two older siblings, you know, they, you know, played the six on six basketball my brother's niche was baseball. You know, he found a, a strong niche there. And then, you know, mine and my two younger sisters, again, you know, uh, fell in love with basketball. So, you know, it was something that, you know, so supportive with our parents. I mean, they never missed a game. They were at everything that you could imagine, which was amazing because at that time they were juggling two jobs and, you know, the number of kids that they had. So I reflect back on it that, it just seems so normal, but I mean, it was such a huge priority for them to give that kind of love and support to each one of their children. You mentioned six on six basketball, and I just became aware of this. I didn't even know that this was a thing. Kyle Corver was on our podcast. Who's from, he spent a lot of time in Iowa and in California, mm -hmm. but Kyle's mom, Kyle said was a legend when it came to six on six basketball. Can right. you talk a little bit about that and uh, share? Cause I think a lot of our listeners probably are ignorant to what you're talking about. And I just started learning about it. So I'd love yeah, to learn a little I, more. I can, I, I actually was really fortunate because I played up all the way through eighth grade. So I actually got to, to be a part of it. And in the state of Iowa, I mean, it just drew 
an incredible amount of fans, you know, that would come to the game. I mean, they were really, I think them in Oklahoma were the two states that were the last to transition to five on five because of the crowds that they would draw, you know, within the state tournament. Um, obviously I was uh, on the offensive end, you know, uh, you know, had to evolve my defensive mind, but I, I think that's where my offense grew that I just, uh, you know, loved scoring the basketball, but I can specifically remember when I was transitioning to high school and we were moving um, everybody in the state of Iowa to the five on five. I went to a basketball camp at, at upper Iowa. I'll never forget. And uh, to learn the game. And I just remember going to the camp and being so overwhelmed that there were too many people on the court together. <laughs> I just, I thought I'm never going to be able to like play this game, understand it, you know, six on six, you only had to deal with six people. Now it's 10. So it is pretty ironic that that became my career. I'm now coaching. And, you know, when I think back to, to that memory. Do you think that from a developmental standpoint, there are benefits to six on six and, and just go into a little more context into what the experience was like. And I don't, it doesn't exist anywhere. Does it? It's not still a thing. Is yeah. It? I, yeah. I don't think so. Uh, but I do. Yeah. I mean, I think when, you know, in practices, you know, uh, preseason, postseason, we'll work on, you know, three on three games and, you know, that spacing and, you know, they, they hold true in our practices, you know, even today. So, you know, there is that um, the skill work that it takes that, you know, three man side, strong side to, to your weak side, uh, the development that needs to play, take place with your passing and your dribbling and your spacing, right? I mean, the spacing on the floor, you know, in our game is so, so important. So, yeah, I think, you know, obviously some great benefits. I mean, you don't learn the other side when you're an offensive player, you don't run up and down. So there's not the conditioning that uh, you have, but definitely the skill set piece, uh, you know, being able to put the ball in the hoop um, offensively is, is a major piece of the game. And I know you played volleyball and you played other sports as well. When and why did you sort of focus in on basketball and what led to the transition to really go for it when it came to basketball? Yeah, you know, I think maybe when when you find like all of a sudden there's a, a moment that you start realizing you're pretty good at it. You know, it's, uh, you know, I remember going to, you know, the YMCA and playing against the boys and, you know, playing, you know, uh, you know, all of a sudden these right and left handed layups got a lot easier and, and you start evolving, you know, in the sport. So um, and then all of a sudden you love it and you, you your passion becomes uh, that sport. So, you know, I, I was really lucky, though. I thought, you know, our parents had us in everything that you can imagine. I mean, we did swim team, we did tennis, golf, softball, baseball, uh, volleyball, you name it. So I love the fact that they never really pushed us into, you know, what that sport was going to be. They really kind of let us, you know, find it out, just uh, let it evolve naturally. And um, because then when you're going to put in that kind of work and that kind of time, I mean, you, you really love what you're doing. What were some of the values that your parents passed down to you? Well, first and foremost, work ethic. You know, we saw it every single day when uh, they would leave out to, to go to work. We still see it. You know, um, I would probably be, well, I know I'll be retired by that age to, to see what my parents are still um, wanting to do and the, the love that they have for their work. Um, but, you know, um, family was huge, you know, uh, something that my mom and dad uh, specifically, my dad would share so many 
times just how important the core of our family was and never to stay mad even when you got in arguments. Uh, and then I, I think, you know, um, whether they taught us or not, just having that passion and that love for, you know, whatever that is, you know, for my parents, it was sports, it was real estate, you know, for my dad, uh, you know, they, they just kind of by who they were kind of displayed those actions of uh, those core, you know, um, values that, that you're talking about. And you mentioned that they're still working. And then you mentioned, I'm not going to be working at that age. And you're not, probably not going to have a choice, right? Like they're going <laughs> to tell you, you can't, you can't do this anymore. And I'm going to leave before they tell me <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> My mother-in-law is a judge and they, you know, you have to retire at a certain age. You can't stay on as a judge. Um, and there are certain jobs that you really can't continue Basketball coaching, there are certainly coaches that coach for a long time, but not into their 80s, I don't think, um, like your parents. What do you think about whatever retirement looks like for you? Obviously, we're, we're early. We're not saying that this is happening for a long time, but I'm always curious about people who are in, in um, positions and are in careers where they know that they're not going to be able to do that thing forever. Is there an, a vision that you have of what that looks like down the road? You know, I, I think, yes, there is. Uh, but I think, you know, before I think, you know, for some people it's daunting, right. Or it's uh, that unknown. And I've got to say probably the bit, you know, a, a gift out of the pandemic was it kind of showed me early what it's going to look like, you know, uh, not to say, I mean, we stopped working, but when some certain things were, were shut down, um, all of a sudden, not having your schedule created for you, right? Uh, you're not scheduled out. Uh, I can't travel, you know, to go recruiting. So, you know, I really, I mean, that pandemic really kind of showed me that um, I have a lot of interest in hobbies that are even outside of basketball, uh, that I'll be okay. You know, that uh, I think I could go in a lot of different directions. Um, I'm, you know, also love to travel. So, you know, but it, just in those months that, that I had where I didn't have to set an alarm clock, you know, I didn't have to be somewhere with my hair on fire and I could get up, drink coffee, you know, read the newspaper, go work out. And all of a sudden it's 11, 12 o'clock in the day. Um, I, I was really content. And so I know that, uh, you know, I will not have any issues creating that, you know, uh, come retirement time. It's so interesting. I work with a lot of different people in a lot of different industries. And I've talked to people who have changed industries completely during the last year. They've changed zip codes. They, they've moved. Um, I just met with someone who moved from New York to Maryland and said, you know, we want to be close to our family. And I think the last year for a lot of people that are movers and going and travelers, being grounded has been a different experience. Whereas I think the people that are normally grounded for them, it's like, whoa, 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 no, I want to go out and travel and move and go. <laughs> and so it's just been an interesting time. I'm curious for you, what are some of the hobbies that you've been doing over the last year that you've enjoyed doing that maybe you don't always have space to, to get into over the course of a quote unquote normal season? Yeah. Yeah. Well said, you know, you know, definitely. I mean, the the gift of time to to be able to have, right? I I have two teenagers. Uh, my my twins are thirteen, um, so I I got more time to spend with them. You know, in the past year than I've ever gotten. You know, I mean, I'm always traveling. You know, within this job, um, and so we got to just spend a lot of quality family time. They weren't scheduled out, so 
um, you know, it was, you know, watching movies together and playing a board game, going outside, riding a bike, you know, um, doing a lot of things, you know, on a consistent basis. I mean, we, we took up family walks, you know, where we would go out uh, every single day, you know, together as a family. Uh, walked with my husband, you know, uh, at least three or four times a week. And I, I just don't have those kind of windows, you know. Um, when I do, you know, obviously in the off season, um, between my time with my family, I'm very active. I love to work out. Um, I love to stimulate the mind and the body. So I'm a reader. I like movies. I love podcasts. Um, I mean, I, I can dive into so many areas, you know, I can read something that sends me that, oh, I want to know about this. And um, just, you know, a lot of uh, things that stimulate your mind. You mentioned your twins and I have a four-year-old and a five-year-old, so they're not twins, but they're 14 months apart. Close enough. <laughs> they're close enough, boy and a girl and uh, love them to death. Um, but I want to learn from you in, in two regards. One, um, any advice that you have for me and sort of um, <laughs> parenting, I'm all ears for it. And then second, um, you know, one of your sons was diagnosed with cancer in 2010. And my best friend, his son was just diagnosed with leukemia a year ago. And he's thankfully doing, doing really, really well. But when that happened to my best friend, it sort of hit home to, for me, like, the fragility of life. And especially when you see a kid go through tough stuff. So I'm, I'd love to just learn from you about that experience and what that was like for you and what you learned from it. And once again, you're, you're a few years ahead of me in the parenting front. So I'd also just to love to learn like what you've learned about, you know, parenting twins. And, um, you know, I, for me, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. So I'm always open to trying to learn from others and especially those who have seen some tough stuff. So I'd love for yeah. you to share what you've learned. Yeah. From um, you know, I, 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 the one thing I'll say is you're kind of, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel we thought was age five when they could start to become a little bit more independent. Those first five years were a blur. I can't even imagine the empathy I have for you right now going through a pandemic in a year. I think that, that would have been really tough. I've, I've thought many times through this, how fortunate we were to have twins that are older because they like our kids didn't, you know, um, it didn't impact them as much as others because of their age and, and being a twin. Um, where I think for a lot of families, this would have been a, a tough time, especially with young kids and trying to keep them stimulated and entertained without being able to go anywhere or to, to be able to do anything. Um, but like you said, um, I think the biggest thing that stopped me in my tracks, obviously, when you get that diagnosis, you know, I was out on the road recruiting when my husband called me and, um, you know, uh, September 28th, that day will never be the same. Uh, for me, you know, just when we got received the diagnosis and had no idea, um, I, you know, when we, we got the, the, you know, when he told me he had cancer, the first thought that went in my mind was how long do I have left with my son and not knowing there were curable types and, you know, not knowing the information that we had and thank goodness he did have a curable type and the age he was two and a half to, to be able to receive that diagnosis. Um, but I, I think probably the most valuable thing that came out of it was I was always, uh, uh, you know, 
on to the next thing, you know, trying to, you know, be the best coach, you know, where is my advantage in recruiting? Um, and not to say, you know, when, when I'm in it, I work hard, I'm very focused on what I do, but um, the balance that it's created in my life to, you know, stop, be present, get out of that checklist that's in your head that can wait until you get to your desk tomorrow. Um, I'm very present with, you know, my kids, you know, um, building that time. We have different shows now that we watch together that we'll find, you know, even if it's once a week or once every two weeks, we find those moments uh, when it, wherever they are to, to be able to savor. But, um, you know, even out of it, when, when you have, when we all have had different um, life-changing experiences, you just, you find out um, how many incredible people are out there. I mean, we were uh, so blessed with great doctors and nurses up at Hopkins. Uh, I can't say enough for that world that was created um, within us. But then you also realize that there's a lot of heavy stuff that we're all juggling out there. There were a lot worse cases than what we were going through with our son uh, that really puts perspective of how delicate you know, life is when, when you're going through it. Yeah, uh, I might put you in touch with my my friend because I mean, I watching him and his wife over the last year just, um, I just admire their strength, and they would they sound very similar to your perspective, and you know they're they're still in it a little bit, but they're it's it's looking pretty good around the same age too. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I would love to be able to talk to him. I think you find out of that, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, that if you look too far ahead, you know, in this diagnosis, you know, my husband, you know, he was unbelievable. He was, you know, three years and three months of delivering chemo and uh, the right amounts and the timing of it. And uh, he quit his job to, you know, take all of this, um, you know, for, for our son. And, um, if you, if you got too far ahead of yourself that, oh my gosh, three years and three months and the treatment, uh, versus every single day, I'm going to do the best I can in this day. Uh, you know, it makes it much more manageable. As a friend, I'm curious for you, were there any actions of friends that really stood out that were helpful during that time? Cause to me, I'm just always thinking about how I can be helpful, was there anything that yeah. a friend or a story that someone? Yeah, that, I mean, it takes helpful? a village, right? So I remember being in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I was supposed to be out for um, four or five more days. You know, I just finished a recruiting day. And when I called my assistant coach, Tina Langley, and told her the news, I mean, you know, as soon as we got off the phone, she had my plane ticket to get me back. Uh, she got on the road, you know, it was. Um, you know, it just really takes a village and you really see what kind of people uh, you have in your life. And I, I remember when I came back and uh, they were going to put a port in my son and, you know, they told us we were going to be up at Hopkins for either one week to a month, depending on how well he received the, the chemo. And, uh, you know, um, my staff was prepared for me to be gone for a month. Um, luckily, for Tyler's end, he was, you know, one week and he was, you know, took it and, you know, was amazing through it. But you do. I mean, um, my in-laws, you know, um, my my husband's parents, they were always there when when I needed to do my job. And uh, my own family, when you talk about, you know, my, my five siblings and my parents. So um, and then your friends, your, your support network. So I'm really blessed. I mean, I have so many incredible people that. 
um, are a part of my life that, you know, uh, I'm really fortunate to um, just have some great, great people in my life. And you mentioned family over the last year it was publicized about your dad and, and his fight and what he's been going through. What's it been like on the other side of it? I mean, that's, that's gotta be a surreal experience as well. And, and just a, a tough experience. Yeah. Um, it, it, it still, you know, still makes it, it's tough because my dad's my rock. <laughs> so, um, and he's 89, you know, so, you know, we all have to go at some point. <laughs> so, um, my dad doesn't think he's going, he thinks he's going to live forever. Fine. <laughs> he said, freeze. He said, freeze me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be here forever. <laughs> My mom's like, pull the plug. My dad, <laughs> like, I want to be here forever. So we'll see what right, happens. Right. I and I think that's what's um so cool is uh you know he loves life. He loves his family, and uh you know I think that's that's the part that you're like you just want more time. But I mean, how uh you know much more greedy can you be? <laughs> You've had you know eighty nine years, so. Um, it's been amazing. We're doing a family trip, just my, uh, five siblings and my parents here in about two weeks. So yeah, we're, we're really blessed. That's awesome. All right. Let's go back to your journey a little bit. So, uh, basketball becomes the sport that you, you really start to focus on and, and you play uh, at a, a really high level. So talk about playing at Arizona, uh, what that experience was like and, um, yeah, just talk about college basketball as a player and, and what it was like for you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think back to, you know, I mean, just, I fell in love with it when I was in junior high and high school, I was really, really fortunate. Um, my high school coach was a huge mentor for me, Paul James, and, um, we won a state championship title. Uh, my sister who was two years younger than me played on, on the same team. So, you know, that was, you know, just amazing to be able to have that experience. And so, um, you know, when, when I went out to the University of Arizona, you know, obviously really naive. I mean, um, they recruited me in the middle, you know, it was Halloween in Iowa, snow on the ground, get out to Arizona, 70 degrees. I'm like, where do I sign? Where's my paperwork? Um, so very naive, you know, with uh, my recruiting process, how I chose Arizona. But, um, you know, I'm really lucky that I, I went so far away from home. You know, I was 26 hours away from home. You know, we didn't have cell phones back then. I was extremely close to my family and very homesick. So, um, you know, just the fact that I had to navigate and work through that uh, was a huge obstacle. But I wouldn't be coaching here in Maryland had I not. Um, a lot of my other siblings stayed in Iowa. They never left. Right. So, um, not to say that that's a different path they chose, um, but going away from home really helped me to be able to, to experience that I can have an, an extension of my family, you know, living wherever I want to live. Um, and then I went through a lot of obstacles of um, highs and lows, great teammates. Uh, we went through a coaching change in my time there. I went through four foot surgeries. I uh, had my career cut short, which allowed me to, to start coaching at Pima Community College. But when I look back and reflect on those obstacles, you know, um, they really were beneficial for me. You know, I, I now can help a player through homesickness their freshman year. I can help them through injuries. You know, when I've made coaching changes, when I've take, taken over programs, I remembered what that felt like as a player. So all these things, you know, and you asked earlier about parenting advice and, 
you know, one of the things I say to families is like, sometimes I feel like we try to bubble wrap our kids and protect them because we don't want them to feel pain. Right. And um, we want to protect our kids. And, you know, one story I'll share with you, I'll never forget. I always knew with my twins at some point they were going to be at a camp or, you know, and one was going to excel and maybe not the other and, uh, or have an experience, you know, one's going to get their first girlfriend before the other, or, you know, just through their walk of life. And, um, one of the very first summer camps we had, uh, my twins, you know, received a couple trophies and the other one didn't. And you, again, there's very limited days when I can show up to a camp for my kids. I can go up to a, you know, a game for my kids. And this day I was able to be there and it was the close of camp. And when it finished, my one that didn't, uh, you know, get a trophy came over and just collapsed in my arms, sobbing. Right. Uh, and all I did, I just hugged him, <laughs> rubbed his back, hugged him, uh, hugged him. And I think, you know, it's okay to be disappointed. Right. I mean, that that's great uh, ability to be able to learn and, and to be able to, to realize in life, you know, um, I tell my two all the time, life isn't fair, you know, different things are going to happen. So it's just, really helping them be resilient of the, the things that they're going to experience in their life. Yeah. I can see it now with parents and I, I like to observe and just notice and watch little things. And my wife and I talk about when a kid falls, there's a very big difference between saying, are you okay? Versus you're okay. And those are very different responses and reactions. And I really think it impacts how kids handle falling. Um, or failure or pain. And as a parent, it's hard to figure out, well, I need to protect them. Like literally, I need to make sure they look both ways before they cross the street. So how do I make sure I protect them while also giving them some space to go explore and fall and scrape their knees? And our pediatrician says like, you know, bruises, the amount of bruises you have or the amount of fun you're having on the playground. Like you should, you should have that. And even when it comes to sports, my kids are playing soccer right now. And the thing that I'm, I'm having a hard time with is my oldest, it's my son. He's like dominating five-year-old soccer and, you know, scoring every goal. Cause we just watch sports all the time and we play in our basement. So people are like, what do you do with him? I'm like, I wake him up at 4am and we train. I'm like, no, we're not doing anything. He's just, he's a talented five-year-old. Great. That's going to do a lot for him in this world. It's like, who cares? Right, um, right. I was a talented five-year-old soccer player. You know how far that got me in my soccer career? Not far. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know necessarily how to react when he scores six goals and he's excited because I want him to be excited. I want him. He celebrates after goals. He has joy with it and fun with it. And so it's tricky because you want him to also be aware and be humble and, and learn how to try to make other people better and all these other skills that sports can teach you. And I want him to be able to enjoy scoring goals. Like it's all so exciting. So we're trying to figure this stuff out. And um, once again, we're fortunate to just have two healthy, great, great for the most part for most of the time they're good. Um, And those are the things that I constantly am thinking about as a parent is like, what is the lesson that he needs or she needs right now? And I don't always know. I agree. I mean, when mine leave to go to a practice or a game and I've kind of just, it's just become my mantra that um, I always, you know, I'll give them a hug and I'll just say, be the most energetic player on the field, be the most energetic player at, you know, on the court. 
And because uh, I just want them to, to, to think energy, passion, you have a love for the game, you know, and, you know, I'll correct them when they'll like come back and say, oh, we won, you know, te- uh, you know, or, you know, it's like, it's not about winning, <laughs> right? <laughs> like right now, it's not about winning. It will be later in your life, but um, and I'll just, you know, go back to, you know, but it is hard. I, I get, I have to say, I get disappointed. I mean, not, but it's the culture we've built when I get an email that, you know, oh, my son fell down on the playground when he was young and he, you know, comes home and he's got a scratch, you know, it's like, you know, and I feel for administrators that that's what we've created, that we need to receive an email that my son fell down, you know, if they were taken to the hospital, let me know. <laughs> um, so we have created, uh, you know, some interesting things. Well, then with one of your sons, you've seen serious, you've seen health get threatened. And I'm sure there's perspective in that as well. Yeah. I, I think about all the time, just, you know, and, and nurturing each of their nature. Cause they're both so different. Are your twins different or are they similar? They're different, you know, and then when you think you have them figured out, they flip. <laughs> so, um, and I, I, I've said, I, I've never had one day, you know, where they're both, you know, in this even mood, you know, where it's a calm day. And I think, you know, um, boys have a lot of energy, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting mix, but I mean, again, it's like, you know, I always look at, we only get to do this once. I mean, we're going my husband and I through this and, um, each year, you know, one time we don't get to do a redo and learn from our mistakes, you know, when, when you have, a, you know, different ages, but, um, man, you know, it's, as you know, one of the most rewarding things you can, you can be as a parent. What was it like coaching while pregnant and coaching, um, you know, after having twins, uh, what was that experience like for you? Uh, like no other, um, you know, uh, but again, I think you realize what a, what a village you have between your, your staff and, and your village at home. Um, you know, I wasn't, when, when I was pregnant that year, I wasn't able to travel after Thanksgiving, you know, and we had, you know, really, really talented team, you know, uh, you know, Crystal Langhorn, Laura Harper were seniors, you know, that, that year. Um, so, and, and we had a final four team. I mean, it was a team that, um, after I gave birth to the twins, they, um, you know, we went to the ACC tournament and then uh, we ended up playing Stanford, which both of us were um, more than capable to, to have been to a final four. So, um, you know, it was, you know, kind of a season like no other, you know, it's such a blur to be able to kind of try to balance, you know, both of those uh, things at the same time, you know, and then even out of it, you know, I mean, again, you know, fortunately for me, you know, when you have you know, family that's retired and resources to be able to add other people into the fold. Um, It allowed me to go back to my job and, you know, um, do what I needed to do at a really high level to be successful in Maryland and then come back into the fold and be mom when, when, you know, I could put those pieces in there. So, um, but definitely, you know, tough, right? Like sometimes you're at work wanting to be where your family's at and vice versa. So it's, you know, definitely, uh, you know, knowing and understanding where you're at is where you need to be. You mentioned Pima Community College. I believe you started coaching there while you were still in college, correct? You were hurt. Yeah. And did you think that you wanted to coach before that? When did coaching come into your brain as something that you wanted to pursue? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I always I always thought I would be like a high school teacher and coach because of my 
mentorship with Paul James that uh, he was just such a, you know, great coach and had such an impact on me. I mean, when I graduated high school, he gave me his playbook and, you know, of basketball from his time. And I mean, he was just a, a huge mentor for me. Um, but then it was really when I got to college where, you know, once I started going, you know, one, I thought I was going to keep on playing and play overseas. And you don't even have very many of those resources available to you in college, which is kind of ironic looking back. But then when I got injured, you know, I started kind of watching my college coaches. And, you know, again, I was lucky to have two different college coaches. So, you know, I started paying attention to their locker room speeches and paying attention to them on the practice court and how they were teaching. And so by the time I graduated college um, and then, you know, being able to, to still be in college and work at Pima Community College, um, can't say enough there. Susie Polito was the head coach and she had uh, worked in a corporate job, but plus she coached. So, you know, I got experience I never would have. I got to coach two games while she was out of town. I was recruiting. I was given locker room speeches. So it was really there because of her leadership that, you know, I got the bug. I realized like, you know what, I want to try, you know, division one coaching. Uh, I want to get in it. And um, that, that's really where it started for me was, you know, through my experiences in, in uh, college. You mentioned Paul James and we've had on a Paul James, but he's an actor. He's not your, your high school basketball <laughs> coach. Um, but Paul James, great, great lesson for those interested. Um, call him PJ, but Paul James. Yep. When you were playing for Paul, I don't know if he had core values, if they were explicitly said um, or not. I'm curious, there's this is like a three prong question. Like, what would you identify as his core values that you witnessed and that you observed that were inspiring and that were things that you took hold of? What were your parents' core values if you were to establish? And we sort of talked about work ethic earlier. And then what is Maryland basketball's core values? Like, I would be curious if there are similarities, if there are differences, because so far in this conversation, it's been clear that Paul had a big impact on how you think about coaching. Your parents have had a big impact on how you show up in the world. And now you run a team. And I'm curious about the core values of the team. So if you could splice that up, I'd just be curious yeah. to, to um, learn about them. Well, I mean, until you just said it, I mean, you know, because I've never really thought of it that way. Um, they're all three completely interwoven. <laughs> I mean, um, because I, I would say like when, when you look at uh, between, you know, my family, my high school coach and how I run our program here. Um, they are, they are all interwoven. When I was in high school, uh, you know, it was a sisterhood, it was family, you know, we would go over to, you know, um, our coaches and wife's home a lot, the team, the team functions that we had, it was, it was an extension of family. And uh, we would even, you know, kids don't do this anymore because they're on video games. We'd go teepee his house with toilet paper, <laughs> you know, um, just because there was so much love for, you know, our team back to, to our coaches and just the extension that they gave us. Um, you know, work ethic, my, my coach was always in the gym. I mean, if, you know, I hit him up and wanted to get shots up on a weekend, you know, um, to this day now, when he comes back to, you know, I take care of him with tickets and hotels and the, the amount of time that he opened the gym for my sister and I to, to go up um, was, was endless. And when you look at my program at Maryland, it's no different. Um, everyone knows if a player calls me 
um, text me, you know, a current player needs to meet with me. It's, it trumps anything I'm doing. If a, a former, uh, you know, player alum reaches out, you know, as soon as I can get back to them, uh, the, the, I'm going to get back to them. It's an extension of family. And, you know, then, you know, I, you know, we, we work hard, but we also, you know, I think interwoven between all of that is, you know, taking the time to have fun. And I can think back to, um, with my family, obviously, and, you know, my high school, you know, situation and here in Maryland, like we work hard, but we also celebrate and, and have a lot of fun with everything that we're doing. I talked to a successful college coach yesterday and she's retiring. Um, and she's around the same age as you <laughs> and, uh, and she's deciding to go in a different direction. And she's at, she's someone who's actually going to be on the podcast in a little bit, but I said like, well, what, why are you retiring? You can certainly continue to coach. And one of the things that she mentioned was the weight of worrying about all of those kids, um, and worrying about her staff her staff and her players and constantly be thinking about them. And I think during the pandemic, there was less of that. And the, the weight was sort of lifted off her shoulders a bit. So what do you do to make sure that you're good when you're also taking care of, um, what do you have, 15, 13, 15, 12 kids on a team and a staff that you're also managing? What do you do to make sure that you are functioning at a high level while you might still carry the weight of making sure that those people are all also okay? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, first when you, you say that, and, and I understand the weight that she's talking about, I feel like, and even from the pandemic is that you're always on. So it's, it's, you know, in any time a, a phone call comes through, whether it be a coach, a player, a parent, you know, um, sometimes there's a heightened alert of whether it's a good or bad call. <laughs> so um, when that weight, it was lifted, I, I totally get it. You know, when you don't have to be on anymore. When you get a call from a parent, how often do you think it's good? You don't, you don't. Cause I, every time I get a call from a client or like, I think the worst and I'm a pretty like optimistic dude, right. but when I get a call from even someone random, I'm always thinking, oh, this is, this is a negative. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you the, um, and, and we have great parents in our program, so I shouldn't even feel that way. Right. And, um, you know, I'll tell you where it really, for me this past season, um, and exactly like you're saying, I'm always a glasses is, is, you know, half full, it's never half empty. And, I received a call in late March from a parent. And again, I went like, you know, and picked it up right away. And, um, we, we, and they called to say congratulations for being named AP coach of the year. I just got chills. I got chills and, from that. And I, I was like, you know, when I hung up, I was like, uh, you know, like you wrestle with it. Like, how bad is this that like, this is where you go to in coaching, you know, and like, uh, so grateful for this family. And, and, and I, and I should never think that way anyways, cause they've never called with it. They've always been, you know um, their calls have always been like that, but you're in the heightened part of the season and you're worried that, you know um, so, you know, I, I think it is important though. I, I think you, you have to, when you go back to your question is you have to have outlets. Um, and so you know, for, for me, you know, it's exercise. If, if, uh, when I was in that bubble during the NCAA tournament, 
you know, trying to exercise in your room just doesn't cut it compared to, to what you do every single day. So um, that, you know, stimulating your mind, like I said, is, is a big piece. I mean, you know, when I can get information or podcast or, you know, um, just different, different things are important. And then, you know, relationships, you know, my, my husband always laughs, but there's not probably every day to every other day that I'm not in some sort of connect with a family member, whether it be phone call, text, uh, Zoom, you know, that, that was a big one for us during the pandemic. We spoke every single day. Um, so just having those balances, those, those healthy balances, you know, um, I love to go out to, to spend quality time on a great meal, you know, date night with your, your husband. So just finding those moments when you can. You mentioned AP coach of the year this year, also in 2002 national championship in 2006, you got over 500 wins. Uh, when you hear those things, how does it make you feel? Um, <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> you're um, not even, you're not even old. <laughs> That's the amazing thing. Like you're, you're not, when were you a head coach? You were head coach at a young age. Um, and before 30 let's put it put it that way yeah so i mean it's it, you just got started early and and have been successful but yeah, when you yeah. hear these things like how does it make you feel like yeah. when i say um, that out loud right like when i like well it's twofold right when i first got here and chris weller had been here 26 years in my young person's mind i was like i can't imagine being somewhere for 26 years i just finished year 21 so I can relate, you know, now, but no, seriously, I think the thing I'm most proud of, because when I did come to Maryland, I was so un unsure of like, I want to do this, but I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. You know, it, you know, you had that um, side, I'd never done it at a power five level, uh, you know, so there was a lot of uncertainty, but now, right. Um, there's a level of confidence that you're most proud of just the consistency. There's so much that goes into being great. And, uh, you know, I, I said this to, to someone this past season, um, we were fortunate. We got 29 games in this past year and we went 26 and three. But when you reflect back of the, uh, of those 29 games, there was not a team on the schedule we were supposed to lose to. We were considered the favorite in every one of those 29 games. So that's the standard we've built, the level of excellence, which you're really proud of, right? But then when you have a loss, you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? You know, you know, how do you lose to Texas to end your season? Um, but you won 26 and three, you know? So, you know, I, I am very proud of the consistency factor because, you know, after the 06 year when we won the national championship, people wondered if we were going to be a one hit uh, wonder and, you know, could we sustain it? And then we went to back-to-back -back final fours in 14 and 15. Um, and the level of competition is really, really intense. You know, media national exposure now has, has made a lot more parity, you know, within our game. So, you know, just that consistency factor, I'm really proud of. You mentioned a lot of former players. You mentioned coaches that are now coaching at other schools. How do you think about your staff and putting your staff together? What do you look for when you're hiring? Um, it, it walk us through some of the things that you look for. Cause a lot of your staff that coach alongside you are now coaching in other places and, and doing quite well. But what do you, what do you look for? Oh man. I, I think hiring your staff is the hardest thing you have to do. 
And, you know, I wish there was a great science to it, you know, that, oh man, if you did A, B, and C, and I even try to, you know, through the process, um, try to figure out as many things as I can. But um, luckily we, we've had way more successes, but, you know, you do have some misses as well where, um, you know, it, it's not a fit. But what I would say is, you know, first and foremost is, you know, just, um, one is as someone that you want to spend a lot of time around, you know, so learning that person and build it, you know, having that relationship, you know, is, is an important piece, obviously at a level like Maryland, you have to be able to, to grind, you know, it's, it's a job that when school starts in um, September, I mean, it's year round, I mean, to be quite honest. So, you know, you have to be able to, to put in a lot of time, you know, and then, um, for me now it's changed where it's, it means so much more for, for me with our staff that we're mentoring our players, you know, that, um, but I'm mentoring our staff. I mean, as I say that it's a top down for, you know, the mentoring of the staff to be able to mentor the players, you know, to build the culture, the healthy culture that, that you want in the program. I can't be everywhere. So if my staff is on the floor, if my staff is doing an individual workout or meeting or film session, are they relaying the same values of our program that I want them to be able to relay to our players? You mentioned you've had misses that weren't a good fit. What are some of the things that led to those misses? What are some of the qualities that didn't cause it to work with you um, and, and staff members? You know, I think, you know, it's easy to be on in an interview process for a day and a half. It can, it's easy to, to be someone that you're not over the phone. And so, um, you know, it's just when you get in, um, one, if you, if you don't work hard, you'll get exposed. Um, so, you know, that, that consistency factor, it's a very high level environment. So you'll, you'll get exposed right away. Um, so you can't, you, if for some reason you get this job, but you can't do the job, it will show quickly. Um, so those are the hardest ones because those are the breaks that, um, you know, you've got to make. Um, firing is the worst part of the job, but I've had to do it. Uh, but, you know, and then obviously from a coach's end, loyalty uh, is a huge piece. I've, I've been burnt, uh, you know, multiple times in that area. And um, I think it shifts of egos. You know, I, my husband and I say this all the time and I watch it with head coaches. I watch it with assistant coaches. Um, I watched it when we won the national championship that all of a sudden um, the egos that changed in after that is all of a sudden people decided they did a little bit more in that championship run than maybe they did their egos kind of got full, you know, from success. And I think one area I'm really proud of is that my family has humbled me my entire life. I'll re remember when I went off to college and I came home at Christmas and I was spouting off. I, you know, was this grown kid out in Arizona and uh, started spouting something off. And my brother, you know, just went at me and said, who do you think you are? Cause you are nobody. And um, I don't know, it's just like, I've been really lucky to be humbled in my family through um, how I was raised. And I think the ego is the biggest um, detriment to people that, that can't handle success. All right. There's a lot there that I want to dive into. <laughs> Number one, I work with a pro basketball player. He's playing in Europe and they're in their Euro league um, playoffs right now. And 
they just made the semifinals and he had a career game. And so I get a text from him at his time, like three or four in the morning, my time, 10, you know, 10 o'clock at night. Cause I didn't watch it. And he's like, Hey, had a great game, yada, yada, yada. And I look at my wife and I'm like smiling and I'm excited. And I've been doing this work for over a decade. So I've had plenty of people who have had awful games and I had seen it and I witnessed it, but it did. I was like, man, that's pretty cool. Like we had a talk this week and then he had this amazing game and I can see how people in my industry would then attach their work to their clients. But the reality is I don't shoot a basketball. I don't hit a golf ball. I don't hit a fastball in baseball or softball. I don't do any of that. We talk and then they have to go do the work. And, and so one of the things that I'd love to riff on with you, you, you're more to me, you do get to make a bigger impact because you're calling plays, you're designing plays, someone like my role, or we'll get into Stu Singer in his role. You know, we're not even pulling those levers, so to speak, but even as a coach, you don't get to step on the floor like you did at Arizona. You don't get to put the ball in the hoop or by the way, turn the ball over late in the game in the NCAA tournament. You don't, you don't get to do either. And so humility and and confidence, like I wrote a book and it's all about your mindset for preparation being different than your mindset for performance. And I actually say in preparation, we should be humble and in performance, we should actually be arrogant. And for me, arrogance is just this, belief in myself, this unshakable belief. If I'm a three-point shooter and I go over five, I'm shooting the next one. You have to be a little crazy to believe that the next one's going in. And so as I'm hearing you talk, I'm hearing some of these polarities that I write about in my book. And I'm thinking about twofold. One, how do you have both? Because I've never met a head coach who doesn't have ego. Never. Like I've come close. There's someone like, well, it's pretty low. But like when you're in it and you're on the floor and you're making the calls, like you're going to screw up and, but you better believe that you're making the right call. And if you're not convicted that it's the right call, your team will feel it. Like I've been around teams where the leader or the head coach isn't convicted and the players feel it. And, and they don't need that humility when you're drawing up the last play to win a game, they need you to have ego. This is going to work. This is going to happen. But then after we need to go watch the film, a coach needs to say, Hey, I screwed up. We ran the wrong play there. We should have run this inbound play, yada, yada, yada. So um, the two pieces to this one, how you think about leveraging the humility that your family is saying you need with the swagger that you probably had as a division one basketball player, or to be able to come to Maryland and say, I can do this, even though I haven't done it before. How do you blend those two? And then the second piece is how do you decouple the team success and making shots from knowing that, Hey, we did a good job sometimes the ball doesn't go in and sort of decoupling the performance from your own value. So I know it's a lot, but the first, maybe the, the first part I'll go back to is how you balance. Let's start with humility and arrogance or, yeah. ego or confidence. And then we'll go maybe to sort of how you value yourself and how you think about yourself from an identity. Standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think every coach that uh, when you go into coaching, you have to have an ego. But where, where it lies is, is it healthy or is it unhealthy? And are you in it for the fame and the attention or are you in it because you love to compete? And I think that's where when, if you go against me, man, you know, like it is the most competitive ego that you're ever going to find. I mean, when I'm on the court, like it's an intensity, it's a passion, it's a confidence, 
And I want that to rub off on every single one of our players. Like it, it is, you know what, like, like if we can beat you by 40, we're going to beat you by 40. And, um, you know, one of our freshmen this year, uh, Angel Reese came up with the slogan, all gas, no breaks. And I love it. I mean, just came up team, loved it, you know, um, and it is, it, it was a, a healthy, you know, of how we love to win and, and be able to compete, compete. But, you know, then out of that, it's, you know, you beat a team by 40, you've got to be able to come back and know the next opponent that you play, you're going to have to go find a different way to be able to go beat them because one doesn't equal the other. And if you were in, you know, our practices after the next day of a game, and again, we won 26 games this year, you would have thought we had 26 losses after those wins. You know, we were harder in the wins to be able to teach and coach and probably the other way when you lost to try to build up um, to bring them back. You know, our locker room was the toughest locker room when we lost to Texas our last game. I mean, one, nobody ever, we didn't want it to end. You know, um, we felt we had a final four team this year. Uh, it has to line up. You have to have breaks, um, work in your favor, you know, in, in March Madness. Um, but it wasn't one of our nights. We were not shooting the ball well. Um, it was a game in the 60s. We were leading the nation in scoring. And credit to Texas, uh, had a great game plan, slowed our offense down. We weren't hitting shots and um, they made two more plays at the end of the game than we did. So, you know, it is understanding, you know, um, the different times and the different elements where, where you need to fall, you know, uh, with, with, within what, uh, you know, what you're juggling. And then from an identity standpoint, you talk about losing to Texas, your AP coach of the year. Your team was fantastic all year, by the way, for the, anyone that didn't watch them. Um, I happened to know two of your players from high school. So I had an added desire to watch. I can watch Ashley and Mimi play. I mean, I watched them, Ashley, when she was a freshman, I could watch Ashley play any day, every day, just because she's, she does things on the basketball court that I just love. Um, but how do you also not let your identity be attached to a loss or to, you know, take me 2006, you you're on top of the mountain, you bring a championship to Maryland. Um, you know, you're feeling, uh, you're probably feeling pretty damn good about yourself back then. Like how do you not let either one dictate who you are? Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, people, you know, I mean, obviously like I addressed my family, keeping me humble, but I'll, I'll give you another example. When I coached at Iowa state, you know, Tim Floyd was, was the head coach then. And, you know, I just remember he had some, you know, again, some really good conversations with me in that time. And I remember him saying like, you know, being the coach, the head men's coach at Iowa state, this is what I do, but this isn't who I am, you know, and I've always been, um, the same way people know, like my God-given name is Brenda Freeze. It's not coach. You know, um, I work at the University of Maryland, you know, and this is my philosophy, but I'm not going to have a camp or a t-shirt named after my name. It's just, for me, that's an ego thing. And I'm not saying for other people, everyone values things differently, but I'm grateful to the University of Maryland to be coaching here. So, you know, Mark camps are going to symbolize Maryland, nothing else. And, um, you know, I just think, you know, the, the ego is so fragile. I, I've watched it. Like I've said, um, it's something I preach to my staff because, you know, I have watched success change a lot of people. And, you know, it's just when, when you watch it and I think you can evaluate it and you can see it and you understand it. 
um, maybe you can you can help other people because you know at the end of the day, um, you know, do I want to get back to another Final Four? Do I want to win a national championship? Yes, I do. But you know what? When I first came into the game, I needed it to validate because I was young that I was good enough, right? Um, which I obviously was good enough. I just didn't know I was good enough. But now my purpose is solely, I want as many players and staff members to experience the final four before I retire, you know, to have that element, um, you know, because I've already done it. I, you know, I don't need anything else on my resume. Um, but so for me, it's such at a different level now at this chapter of my life that it's about people and giving back and, and allowing them to have those experiences. I don't need anyone to tell me, you know, if I'm good enough, I, I, I think consistently, um, you know, I know what, you know, what I've been able to do. That word enough is such a fascinating word. Like I am enough. Right. And, and we think about that word, am, am I good enough or I am good enough a lot of people, let's go beyond sports. It's, it's always a question of like, am I enough? Am I enough of a mom or a dad or a brother or a son or a daughter or a student or an athlete or a player or a coach? You could keep going. And it's an interesting dynamic for you because you have talked throughout this conversation about your competitive spirit. And there's no question that you are competitive, but you can still be super competitive. And the origins of that word is it comes from competere, which means to strive with. So competere means the origins of the word compete is to strive with. It's not even necessarily about um, someone else. You need competition to bring out your best. You need others to strive with and you're enough. Like it, it can be both. It can be, I'm competitive and I'm enough. And too often we hear, we just heard it with Trevor Lawrence, the guy who's first pick of the draft. He said, football doesn't define me. And everyone's like, what do you mean? It doesn't define you. And they couldn't <laughs> understand it. And he was trying to say like, I'm enough as a human being, regardless of how I do in the NFL, don't get it twisted. I'm going to compete my ass off and I want to be a great quarterback, but I'm enough. And I think people sometimes don't give themselves that grace to say I'm enough and I want to kick your ass because I can do both. Like I can have both. Um, so that's my little uh, sermon, I guess, for. And I for, agree with you more. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about uh, Stu and, and your character coaches, because one of the things that I am curious to learn more about is your relationship with Stu. Um, but why, why don't we start with Stu? So talk to me about Stu and give people a little background on Stu in case they haven't heard him when he came on the podcast um, and what that looks like and, and how Stu works with, with the team. Yeah. Um, well, Stu Singer, you know, is our, you know, mental performance coach, uh, sports psychologist, you know, um, I'm always a person that is always, um, I never want to remain the same. I will always want to, you know, think outside the box. And so, the cool thing was we had went to the final four in 2014 and we brought Stu on in 2015. And, you know, a lot of coaches after you've won, you know, got to the final four, why would you add anything different? Just keep doing the same. And, you know, it was through the relationship of Alyssa Thomas, her, um, you know, uh, tr uh, coach back uh, in Pennsylvania uh, was Stu's brother. So there was that connect. And then Mike Tebow, who was with the Connecticut Sun and then the Mystics um, also utilized uh, Stu. So there was all these interconnects. Uh, we got connected. Um, my husband was able to, to connect through everybody. And um, 
we got to know him and we brought him on board. And we always talk about, we train the, the body, but you know, wh- who's training the mind. And I think that's been a piece that, uh, you know, a lot of programs have become cutting edge is, you know, to go find, you know, the, the next level. And, you know, I value Stu just like a staff member, you know, the influence that he has, you know, with our players, you know, those individual meetings that they have, team meetings that, that we have, um, learning some breathing and meditation techniques, but um, he's been huge for our program. And, uh, you know, um, you know, still to this day, I mean, we have alumni, Shatori Walker Kimbrough, who uses him in the pros, you know, every step of the way. So he's had a, a huge impact on our program. I love that you brought him in after the success. And I always say, you don't wait till it rains to build a roof. And I think it's really true. And I think psychology in general for years was you go see someone when you have something wrong with you. And it's really been changing over the last decade, two decades, where it's like, no, you don't have to be sick to get better. Just keep getting better. And part of getting better is making sure you're mentally strong or healthy. And we all are susceptible to A, um, challenges when it comes to mental health and B, part of the game's mental. So let's go work on it, like you said. So I love that, just the story of how you brought them in. Whenever someone calls me and they want me to troubleshoot, I like, it's it's like a red flag for me. I don't want to go troubleshoot um, because I want to do my work. It's front loading. Let me front load. And then they can go have the tools that they need to go be successful. But like, I'm fortunate I get to work with amazing people that do amazing stuff and we get to collaborate and work together and I get to learn from them and they get to learn from me. And through that collaboration, they get better and then they're ready to go. But for troubleshooting needs, I'm like, go see someone else. And, and by the way, there are, there are really great people that are great at t- troubleshooting and that's, it's needed and it's important. Talk about character and character is a word. Uh, I know John Wooden talked a lot about character, um, but you have character coaching. And, and when I first heard about this, I I was intrigued by it and wanted to learn a little more. So what does that look like for your culture and walk us through the mechanics of of what that looks like for your team? Yeah. Yeah. Again, um, you know, I watched, you know, on our men's side, uh, they had pastor D that, uh, you know, would come around and I, I was able to build a relationship with, he was so great of, um, you know, being able to, to come in and have conversations and, um, you know, you know, have these talks. So, you know, over the years, I just started to say to Pastor D, I mean, how can we build this within our program? I love what you're doing on the men's side. Um, I knew we wouldn't have the, the ability to commit to our side. So um, we brainstormed and it was really um, out of those conversations that we built the character coaches so, you know, over the years, um, we've had, you know, two, you know, um, females come in, they come in bi-weekly to, to our program. Um, our most recent Gabriella and Natalie, um, we didn't get to have this past season with the pandemic, um, but we can't wait to get them back in the fold for next season. But, you know, what, what I loved about it is it built, um, you know, every other Friday they would come in and it would be on a certain topic. And, you know, um, with within your values of your program, or if we were struggling with communication or listening, or I could give them a nugget that uh, would, they'd come up with a team building activity. So um, they traveled with us some, I mean, they were just, you know, again, another big piece that, you know, at different times, 
you know, when different things came up. Um, you know, I think it's important to have different voices. I, I think it's important that everyone shouldn't look like me, right? I mean, everybody, we, we need that diversity. We need to have different opinions. We don't need to think the same. And so, uh, you know, they were, they've been huge to, to our program as well. And one of them is a student at Maryland? Yeah, yeah. So um, one, you know, is Pastor D's daughter. And uh, I was a student at Maryland. Uh, now I don't know if she's a junior or senior, just given um, what, you know, the conditions. And then one uh, works in, in the, you know, workforce. Um, but both young, uh, you know, uh, played sports, you know, understand the, the demands. Our players really, really connect well. Um, so again, I, I feel like, you know, having a stew, you know, having your character coaches, um, you know, we've added at Maryland a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, and we've had some really powerful conversations this past season um, in-house that we've been able to do. So, you know, I just think when, when you're able to kind of keep that uh, your team well-rounded and to be able to continue to give them different sources of, of information, I think are extremely valuable. I want to close by just putting the spotlight back on you. And so you mentioned podcasts books, movies, what else do you intentionally do? It could be daily, weekly, monthly to make sure that you are in a good place mentally. Is there any other? Yeah. Yeah. What else do you do? Um, you know, every morning I start my day, I meditate and, you know, my husband, you know, back two, three years ago, you know, sent me, you know, a, a meditation app and was like, you should try this. And uh, it was a 30 days. And I mean, it took me 30 days and, and I was hooked. I will say I have continued. I don't know about my husband so much, but, um, you know, it just it's it's my routine of how I start every day. I think I, I have trained my mind even sharper through it just to slow down when I need to find those times to have that focus or that intensity. That's been probably one of the biggest game changers for me in the last two and a half years, um, you know, and and. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I'm a consistent workout five days, six days a week. Uh, that is a consistent piece for me, you know, uh, each and every day. Um, you know, when we go to the dinner table every night, uh, my, my kids know this. I probably, have, again, just randomly, probably the last, gosh, they're 13 now. So probably since they were eight or nine, I ask them, you know, what is one nice thing they, what is something they did for, for others in their day? I want them aware of getting off themselves. We're in a me society and tell me what you did for somebody else. And then they tell me that, and then they have to share with me what they're grateful for. And I just, I, I think anytime we can help our young people have gratitude, um, get off themselves, they're growing up in a different era with a lot of information about being about me and my brand and my, you know, it's, um, I think that's the biggest gift I can give my kids is, you know, to be about other people and, you know, um, and, and uh, hopefully that's, you know, being instilled the right way. I've done a lot of thinking about success and performance and I just wrote an article about it. Uh, I think too often we think that a great performance is success and I don't think that's necessarily the case. There are times that we have great performances and it's not necessarily success. And I just pulled up your, your Twitter and Brenda is at Brenda Freeze. Uh, it's one S in her last name. And pinned on your Twitter is, what a special moment with family. Thank you, Doug Feinberg and the AP voters. No other team 
and team is in caps, family is in caps, I would rather go through a season with incredibly honored. And so it's in reaction to the AP award, AP coach of the year award. And what you were just talking about with your, your kids is this idea of sharing and this idea of success being about team and being about family and being about others. And I think true success is often about others. And so I think it's cool that you're raising your kids to think about that. And you're also living it and, and, and doing it um, through all kinds of different platforms. I want to give you a megaphone to promote anything that you want to promote. If there's something you're passionate about, um, where can people learn more about what you're doing? Once again, Twitter, Brenda's at Brenda Freeze, and then their website is MarylandWomensBasketball.com. So you can check out the team and, and follow along there. But anything else that you want to give a shout out to or anything that you're passionate about that you want to just use this platform to spread? Yeah. Um, well, I think when you say about that tweet, I also, it was the video when my dad told me. Um, so that, the, you know, that one, and when you know the history of, uh, you know, my dad is huge. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, I'm easy to find on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and, uh, you know, um, Snapchat and all those different uh, means that are out there. Um, obviously, you know, leukemia has touched our family's heart. So we're still very active, you know, uh, you know, in that field and with Johns Hopkins. Um, and then, you know, Maryland, I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, they've been really good to me and, you know, we're, we're able to put a lot of great things out there uh, for, for um, everyone to, to witness. But no, I just appreciate uh, the, this uh, hour has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, I just uh, appreciate Brian, appreciate you having me. Thanks for coming on. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson and then LinkedIn is the other place I like to play at Brian Levinson. I'm not on snap. So you'll have to find coach freeze on there. I don't even know how to snap or TikTok or any of that other stuff. Maybe one day I got kids that are they're They're on their way up. I'm they'll sure they'll teach you. They'll, they'll teach, teach me. You. Give me a, give me a few years and I'm sure I'll be on whatever the next thing is. Um, and you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast coach Brenda looking forward to meeting you in person, hopefully coming to a game and, uh, and get in to see you all work your magic and, and keep doing your thing. Tell Mimi and Ashley, I say hi, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Can't wait. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. It means so much more for, for me with our staff that we're mentoring our players, you know, that, um, but I'm mentoring our staff. I mean, as I say that, it's a top down for you know, mentoring of the staff to be able to mentor the players, you know, to build the culture, the healthy culture that, that you want in the program. I can't be everywhere. So if my staff is on the floor, if my staff is doing an individual workout or meeting or film session, are they relaying the same values of our program that I want them to be able to relay to our players?